podcast, I wanted to give an indication of what life was like in Whitechapel in 1888. And to help me, I'm going to refer to Donald Rumbelow's excellent book, The Complete Jack the Ripper. Donald Rumbelow, of course, recognised by many as the leading authority on the murders of 1888. And he introduced many people to these particular crimes with his 1975 publication of The Complete Jack the Ripper. He's written so much, including I Spy Blue, published in 1971, The Triple Tree, Newgate, Tyburn, and The Old Bailey in 1982. And he collaborated with Stuart Evans when they created Jack the Ripper Scotland Yard Investigates, which was published in 2006. And he's been the driving force behind London Walk's guided tour of Jack the Ripper. So a great tour guide as well as a great writer on the subject. His complete Jack the Ripper is especially good at evoking the kind of world in which these murders took place. He calls the first chapter Outcast London, and he says, To the average Victorian, the East End was Outcast London. There was a feeling that it was separated from the rest of the metropolis geographically as well as spiritually and economically. Its people were strange as the African pygmies and the Polynesian natives with whom they were often equated by journalists and sociologists who wished to draw attention to its problems. So little was known about them until slumming became fashionable in the 1870s and 1880s that an educated woman who was visiting St George's in the East in the 1870s remarked with some astonishment on the fact that the people didn't sleep swatting against a wall, and that they lived in houses and not in railway carriages, as she had expected. One shocking sight for people like the Reverend Samuel Barnett and his wife, who moved into St Jude's Vicarage in 1873, was the herds of cattle herded into the slaughterhouses around Aldgate. An observer at the time wrote that at the slaughterhouses which are often ordinary shops, the sheep would be dragged in backwards by their legs and the bullocks hounded in by dogs and blows, while small boys clustered excitedly round the door and passers-by stepped, as best they could, through the blood and urine flooding the pavement. To show the dreadful conditions in which many lived in the East End, Donald quotes from Andrew Meehan's The Bitter Cry of Outcast London a campaigning pamphlet published in 1883 that deserves its own podcast. But in the meantime, here's a sample. Every room in these rotting, reeking tenements houses a family, often two. In one cellar, a sanitary inspector reports finding a father, mother, three children and four pigs. In another room, a missionary found a man ill with smallpox his wife just recovering from her eighth confinement, and the children running about half-naked and covered with dirt. Here are seven people living in one underground kitchen, and a little dead child lying in the same room. Elsewhere is a poor widow, her three children, and a child who'd been dead for thirteen days. Her husband, who was a cabman, had shortly before committed suicide. Here lives a widow and her six children, two of them who are ill with scarlet fever. In another, nine brothers and sisters from twenty-nine years of age downwards live, eat and sleep together. Here is a mother who turns her children into the street in the early evening because she lets her room for immoral purposes until long after midnight, when the poor little wretches creep back again if they have not found some miserable shelter elsewhere. 
Where there are beds, they are simply heaps of dirty rags, shavings, or straw. But for the most part, these miserable beings find rest only on the filthy boards. What is amazing is that there was a level of society existing in the East End that was below even these wretched people, because Andrew Means was describing the living conditions of people that he had visited in their homes. The social reformer of Charles Booth estimated that about 11,000 people at the very bottom of society had no home at all. Donald Rumbelow explains that these people included dosses and the homeless outcasts who slept on staircases, in doorways, and even in dustbins and lavatories for warmth. Jack London spent seven weeks living among the poor in the East End. He went to a second-hand shop and bought old working clothes and then went among these poor wretches. He wrote up his experiences in his book, The People of the Abyss, in which he said that he had seen poverty in the USA, but he had never seen anything like the poverty he saw in the East End of London. Another overseas visitor was equally appalled. Jacob Adler, a Yiddish theatre actor, arrived in London after Yiddish theatre was banned in the Russian Empire. He wrote, The deeper we penetrated into Whitechapel, the more our hearts sank. Was this London? Never in Russia, nor later in the worst streets of New York, did we see poverty like the poverty we saw in the London of the 1880s. How could this have happened? In the richest city in the world. How could this monstrous Jekyll and Hyde world have come about? And the answer, perhaps, is, as Charles Darwin pointed out, we are not a successful species because we are stronger than others or cleverer than others. The reason we're successful is that we are supremely adaptable. We were able to adapt to every ecological niche on the planet. And so, when we create monstrous conditions rather than address the cause, we adapt. And all classes in London adapted. Some would blame the poor themselves. Some would exploit them. Some would ignore them. Some would devote their lives to trying to stop people ignoring them. Some, like Queen Victoria, would seek to pacify them. As she said, Give my people plenty of beer. A good beer and cheap beer. And you will have no revolution among them. Still others, like Frederick Charrington, tried to help the people by devoting his life to campaigning against the evils of beer and other intoxicating drinks. Despite all that, conditions in the East End at the end of the 19th century remained monstrous, and those monstrous conditions were a breeding ground for monsters. And one of those monsters was Jack the Ripper. And on that note, I'll say thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join me again for another podcast, or even join me on my Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel tour. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.